banks and financial institutions are public services. They are not merely businesses that if they go out of business, I can say, okay, so they went out of business, let them do something else. It is not that way. And therefore, the, we, the, the entire uh, country and economy depends on them. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us. I'm Craig Williams from a very rain-drenched Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from a, a sunny today, uh, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, although we did have flooding here yesterday, uh, quite uh, strangely, but uh, all gone today. Uh, I write a blog called Law Sites, another blog called Media Law. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. And Bob, we'd like to thank this time to thank our sponsors, Clio, web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. Above All Legal, a new online job board for the legal community. You can find out more about Above All Legal at AboveAllLegal.com. And Firm Manager from LexisNexis at MyFirmManager.com slash LTN. Well, Craig, with uh, people filling the streets in Occupy Wall Street protests in various places around the country, with Bank of America planning to charge for debit card usage with foreclosure rates on mortgages still on the on, on the rise. Uh, it, it seems the general public has, has had enough uh, with the financial situation in this country. And are we seeing the beginnings of a revolt like we did 200 years ago? Well, aside from these protests in the streets, there has also been some litigation. According to an article on Law.com, in one civil racketeering suit, attorney Jeffrey Barnes claims that J.P. Morgan Chase mortgage servicer Chase Home Finance went after homes it had no right to take in foreclosure. Today, we look at banking laws after the so-called Dodd-Frank reform and pending litigation relating to banking and try to examine this wave of dissatisfaction with our financial systems. Today, we're going to look at these issues uh, with with two guests. Uh, First of all, let me introduce uh, Tamar Frankel, professor of law at Boston University Law School. Professor Frankel has written and taught in the areas of mutual funds, securitization, financial system regulation, fiduciary law, and corporate governance. She's the author of the book, Fiduciary Law, published in December 2010, where she examines the structure, principles, themes, and objectives of fiduciary law. Uh, She's the author of a number of books and also has a new book uh, in the works entitled Abuse of Trust, Con Artists, and Ponzi Schemes. Welcome to the show, Professor Tamar Frankel. Thanks for having me. And Bob, our next guest is a, ter- is a returning guest. He's attorney Lanny Davis. He's a principal in the law firm in Washington, D.C. of Lanny J. Davis and Associates. It specializes in strategic crisis management. He served as pre- President Clinton's special counsel in 1996 to 1998 and as a member of the President Bush's Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board, 2006 to 2007. He's the author of Scandal, How Gotcha Politics is Destroying America, published in 2006. Welcome back, Lanny. Thank you. 
There's a grassroots effort underway with people protesting in major cities like we talked about in New York, Chicago, Boston, and some little cities like Santa Cruz out in California and Louisville and Kentucky. This is coming now after several years of banking and financial mortgage crisis that hit us again and again and again. The protest messages aim at corporate greed in the financial industry. Well, Lanny, can you give us a little background how we got here and, and where we're headed, perhaps? Well, um, the uh, overall crisis, of course, we all know began with the uh, sub- subprime uh, non-regulated environment where derivative instruments and other uh, completely uncollateralized uh, uh, debt obligations uh, where the underlying collateral was so distant that nobody even cared about it. Uh, allowed to take place in uh, two or three years time period, but really stretching back uh, to the total deregulation of the banking sector that occurred uh, actually during the Clinton administration. And I think we ended up uh, facing paper that was worthless with no federal regulator asking, almost like the emperor's new child uh, fable, uh, there's there's no clothes here. There's no collateral here. Why are people mortgaging uh, their homes and having paper being traded when there's no collateral behind this debt? And I think that ends up with the lesson that there has to be, uh, first, uh, going back to the Glass-Steagall Act, a distinction between commercial banking and uh, residential mortgages and uh the never the twain shall meet philosophy of Glass-Steagall has to be reinstituted, which was um, for some reason nullified in the 1990s. And secondly, we need to insist on hard collateral underlying uh, commercial paper, especially derivative commercial paper, where the actual transaction is, you know, steps removed, and people are basically uh, in a casino out in Las Vegas bidding on paper where they have absolutely no value in that paper whatsoever other than uh, an auction market where nobody cares. Well, Tamar, uh, Frankel, let's bring you into this and, and get, get your perspective on kind of that same question. From, from where you sit, uh, how did we get to the state of affairs we're at right now? Okay. Uh, I'll start as a matter of fact with one of the points that was made. We don't have banks anymore. Uh, banks are institutions that receive money and then turn around and lend it. Uh, then we have something called markets. Uh, markets are really uh, trading in promises in what we call securities, but these are promises. Uh, I pay now to get something more in the future, hopefully. Um, uh, what has happened is that Glass-Steagall, which was mentioned, separated the two um, because uh, what my short-term uh, investment in the bank, which is really my demand deposit, is turned around and then uh, lent for a very long time, sometimes 30 years, to mortgages. So that's why we have regulation. Uh, because there's no balance between the two, and we wanted banks to be, quote, safe and sound. And that was the bank regulation. What happened next was 
um, the assumption, I think, that safe and sound means large. And large means more. That was one assumption. The other one was that if we can turn 30-year mortgages into immediate marketable instruments, uh, we will balance what the banks receive with what the banks give. Uh, And that allowed banks to enter the market. But what we did then is to change banks from lenders to brokers. Brokers are short term. What do they care what they sell? So long as they get the commission and say goodbye and thank you very much. And that is what happened. Banks became uh, sellers of they didn't care what because they had no skin in the game. And I think the result was that we solved one problem. We made the assets of banks liquid. They could sell it immediately and pay the deposits. But we could also created uh, an unacceptable risk into the market. So uh, that is, uh, we solved one problem, but created a far greater one. And the second thing that we did was to allow banks, again, we thought the bigger, the better, right? Well, wrong. And the result was that we allowed banks to be not only brokers, but also underwriters, managers of mutual funds, and uh, uh, anything you want. You can, a bank has now insurance. Um, The result, of course, is that these are different facilities. They are under one roof. Uh, They are enormous. And then, if they fail, then you and I and every citizen has to chip in and save them or else we destroy our financial system and we bail them out. If we had a zillion small banks only, only, it would be inefficient on one hand, but none of those little banks could destroy us as much as one or two of those big banks did. And that's, of course, our problem. Well, Annie, where do you think these protests are headed? Do you you see this as something that is going to mushroom into a much larger, perhaps a a ground ground swell of grassroots? No, I don't. uh, Protests um, that have no focus and seem to be just, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, uh, don't go anywhere. And that's what happened on uh, people that um, at times were peaceful, at times were violent when they protested uh, World Bank uh, or international trade uh, meetings. People against global economy had lots of protests. These are not... uh, I, I certainly grant them their right to protest. I protect their right to protest, but they're not going to have an effect on public policy, uh, which is too bad because there's a serious issue here. But the kind of uh, protests that we're seeing now are, are really, in my opinion, not going to lead to any legislative change. Uh, they're not Martin Luther King marching on Washington with a legislative program that's going to be following up 
their activities. And it's un- unfortunate, but that's that's the way I see it as of now. Well, it's just not, it's, it's, we're just a year, a little over a year uh, since uh, the president signed the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act, uh, and here we are talking about legislative reform again. Uh, well, is Dodd-Frank having any impact here? Well, uh, not yet, of course. The consumer agency that was envisioned by Dodd-Frank hasn't actually gotten started yet uh, because the uh, appointment process was thwarted by uh, Republicans in uh, the Senate. So um, the answer is no. Uh, the actual Consumer Protection Agency isn't, isn't uh, uh, active, but there isn't anything better than Dodd-Frank that we're ever going to get passed, and that's why I'm not sure what the protests are about. May I? And nor do Please I think do. they know what they're about. Yeah, tomorrow, go ahead. I'm not sure that... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a politician, therefore I don't know to what extent these protests will turn into votes. Uh, but... I do think that people are trying now to get out of certain banks. And I know that certain banks make it very difficult now, even to make it more difficult to receive a checkbook, because the checkbook means transfer, and they would either like you to do it on online, or, if possible, not at all. Uh, I still think that if this continues, then I end regulation. Uh, I doubt whether it's going to change it that much. People will have to regulate uh, the banks and the institutions by themselves. And the way to do it is to make the market work again. There was a time when market was you and I and the little people. Uh, Right now, instead of that, uh, the markets are uh, pooled uh, that represent uh, managers of huge pools of money. Um, And maybe what these uh, people who are now demonstrating represent uh, the little people whose money is now locked into those pools and they can do nothing about that. Uh, so maybe uh, the answer is going to be that people get out of those banks uh, that try to keep their money and uh, let them uh, let the market really work. As far as uh, legislation is concerned, we haven't changed the fundamental changes that have occurred over 20, 30 years. And therefore, maybe we ought to look at the structure of the financial system today. We have a lot of shadow banking. We have a lot of shadow exchanges. We have eliminated the small exchanges that we had all over the country and then divide, then controlled it only in one New York Stock Exchange. Well, it had the advantages, but it had also the disadvantages. We have allowed too much power without enough control over it. So the people now uh, may have to be uh, not even called, may have to come and say, uh, this is not uh, the right way to go about it, and then move Congress 
uh, to redesign the financial system, not regulate it, redesign it. Lanny, are we are we here listening to you know as we listen to this? Are we really seeing the decline and fall of Rome here? Or, or is capitalism on its way out? I, I really don't quite understand the topic we're talking about here. Uh, we have uh, the, an end to the derivative uh, abuse uh, crisis, and uh, we have a, a law in place that ought to make it much more difficult for it to happen again. And we can probably uh, tinker around the edges and and get a, a stronger bifurcation between commercial and investment banking. But uh, no, of course not. I think we've lived through the crisis, and now we need to get Dodd-Frank uh, implemented. Well, I, I mean, it's, I, isn't it, it noteworthy, I think, that uh, in a debate uh, this week, Elizabeth Warren is now running for Senate in Massachusetts uh, after having uh, – uh, uh, Initially, been nominated to head the Consumer Protection Agency under Dodd Frank. One of the quotes from her from that debate—I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I read in the newspaper that she said that she said the people on Wall Street broke this country. They did it one lousy mortgage at a time. It happened more than three years ago, and there's been no real accountability and no real effort to fix it. That's why I want to run for the U.S. Senate. I was intrigued by that since she was one of the people who who. Had some influence on the Dodd Frank bill, didn't she? I mean, is she there saying that the Dodd Frank bill was was not a real effort to fix that, or or how do you read that, Lanny? Uh, you know, sometimes I don't uh, read Elizabeth Warren very clearly, <laughs> uh, so I can't speak for her. She's running for office, and sometimes I think her language is much too moralistic and judgmental and polarizing. And I think there's a reason why she wasn't confirmed. Uh, I think she's a great lady and did great things, but I think her approach to politics is more confrontational if you want to get things done in Washington. And I wish her well, hope she gets elected in Massachusetts. Uh, but I think Dodd-Frank and the Consumer Bureau that she helped create is going to require working with the financial community and rather than being confrontational and demonizing people who are, quote, bankers or financial service industry and using generic terms that demonize people. I think we have to get back to the facts, the serious problems of a lack of collateral of derivative instruments, and making sure that uh, commercial banking and investment banking has some regulatory oversight so that investment bankers who are used to dealing in derivatives and marketplaces that aren't really about collateral uh, are not allowed to do that when it comes to the residential mortgage market. I think that's really the big difference here is we uh, had lots of uh, fancy and sophisticated uh, swaps and other types of instruments that cropped up in the last 10 years. But when you're dealing with people's homes where the end result of all of this uh, uh, money being made on uh, auction paper without real hard collateral ends up the people paying the uh, price for this are not all the people who made all this money in the derivative uh, market, but people who are losing their homes through foreclosure. And that's what makes this uh, a serious situation from a human standpoint. But I don't, I don't think it's uh, any longer uh, a national uh, problem because I think these derivative instruments are, are in, fortunately, when it comes to the mortgage market, are no longer uh, as much around as they were before. Well, it's time for us to take a quick break. We'll have more on banking laws, consumer protection, and the voices of financial protesters when Lawyer to Lawyer returns.
Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to introduce us to the world of cloud computing and how it can be beneficial to lawyers and law firms. Jack, we're hearing great things about cloud computing and its utility for law firms. Can you tell me why so many lawyers are excited about cloud computing? I think the most important thing about cloud computing from a lawyer's perspective is that it gives them the power and breadth of features that traditional desktop and server-based software uh, gives them without all of the IT overhead and inconvenience. So there's uh, all the benefits and none of the downsides of traditional desktop-based software, and they're able to focus on practicing law with a really solid cloud computing platform behind them. But I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the, the excitement is they're now able to realize the, the potential of IT without all of the headaches. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. This is Kate Kenny at Legal Talk Network, and I'm talking with attorney Brian Manginis, co-founder of Above All Legal, an innovative new online legal job board. Brian, tell us about Above All Legal and how it works. Above All Legal is a new online legal job board that connects legal professionals with leading law firms and in-house corporate legal departments. So if you're a job applicant looking for a position, you can go onto our site and post your resume for free and also search our extensive job database where we have thousands of jobs listed right now. Additionally, if you are an employer looking to fill a job opening, you can search our resume database or post your jobs online. Finally, if you're an advertiser looking to reach into the legal community, you can post your advertisements on our site. We've been talking to attorney Brian Manginis, co-founder of Above All Legal. Check it out at AboveAllLegal.com. That's AboveAllLegal.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. All 
Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi, and my co-host Jay Craig Williams and I are joined by Professor Tamara Frankel from Boston University Law School and by Attorney Lanny Davis, principal of the Washington, D.C. firm, Lanny J. Davis and Associates and uh, a former uh, special counsel to President Clinton. And, and uh, Lanny, I know you have to uh, go in just a, a, couple, a couple minutes, uh, and I'm hoping tomorrow will stay with us for a few minutes beyond that. But but uh, perhaps we can get kind of your, your, your final thought on this. I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm hearing you say is that, that Dodd-Frank is, is going to be about as good as we're going to get, and we need to give it a chance to work. Is that right? Yes. Uh, right now, that's exactly what I'm saying. And if we have to do anything through congressional hearings and further legislation, I would say we have to look at uh, dividing uh, back to the pre-Glass-Steagall days uh, investment banking and commercial banking. All right. And, and Lanny, if any of our listeners want to uh, follow up with you, uh, what, what's the best way for, the, to, for them to do that? Uh, well, th- thanks uh, for asking. Uh, I have a website. Uh, easy to remember if you remember my name, uh, www.lannyjdavis.com one word, L-A-N-N-Y-J-D-A-V-I-S dot com. And I'm in uh, Washington under uh, Lanny J. Davis and Associates. Well, uh, we know you have to go. Uh, thank and, you. Uh, th- thanks for being with us. Thanks uh, for and, having and, me. And, thank and you, tomorrow, please stay with us for a few minutes. Can I say something about the Dodd-Frank case? Uh, Absolutely. What the statute suggests, or not suggests, mandates broker-dealers to become fiduciaries. That means not only offer something which is suitable to clients, but also something which does not involve conflict of interest and which is the cheapest for them. Something suitable can be horrendously expensive also and risky and suitable. Uh, The brokerage industry is up in arms uh, about that. And even though we have this statute. Uh, it is not clear, to me at least, that uh, the law will really have an effect. Um, the other issue is who is going to enforce that duty. And it seems that the enforcement will be self-regulating brokers. Um, so it what I saw, and I was involved in it to some extent, is a, a tremendous argument about what it really means, although everybody knows what it means. Don't sell me something which is too expensive uh, just because you were paid uh, to push this uh, instrument and not another. And therefore, there are parts, at least, of the act which I'm not sure will ever be enforced. This is number one. As far as securitization is concerned, let us agree some of it is very good and very helpful. Um, And again, it is a slippery slope uh, that creates the problem. You can take a very good thing like food and water and kill us if we eat too much of it and if we eat the wrong one. So it's the same, the same applies now to the derivatives and to the lack of collateral. I agree that that is a problem, but if you see how 
very uh, uh, how much resistance there is now in the financial system or in the fi- those who control the financial system to any of these changes, then I'm not sure uh, that they may o- may be overcome unless we restructure the system altogether. Well, uh, Tamara, looking at uh, the books you've written, uh, it's interesting to me that uh, you've written a lot about fiduciary law, of course, and and, and about trust trust and honesty appears to be a a steady theme and a consistent theme through your writing. Thinking about these protests, is is there a way for these financial institutions to to kind of regain uh, that sense of of trust? Uh, will uh, Will the public be able to feel uh, comfortable about these financial institutions? And if so, how how do we get there? Well, uh, <laughs> these are two <laughs> short questions, and the answer uh, is not only long but really unclear. To some extent, there must be a change in the culture of the institutions themselves. They must realize banks and financial institutions are public services. They are not merely businesses that if you go out of business, I can say, okay, so they went out of business. Let them do something else. It is not that way. And therefore, the, we, the, the entire uh, country and economy depends on them. And so it, it, there some of the regulation uh, which they object to must come from inside. Uh, what they, if, if, so long as the culture of institutions is that we will do uh, whatever we think is right for us and let somebody else protect himself, we are going to be in the same trouble. Now, do I think that all financial institutions, managers, and leaders are un, uh, unreliable? Absolutely not. I had a, a visitor today to my class, and oh my, he, he showed how he's doing things, and he's supporting and protecting his clients. So that's not a um, statement about everybody, but the leadership must change the culture. The internal leadership of the financial institutions must change the culture, not from the outside so much, and they must limit themselves. Uh, That, you know, people will understand that, and they will know it. Uh, So, I... You could have, instead of squeezing people, uh, the last uh, squeezing people out or, or uh, throwing them out of the houses, trying to find a way to negotiate a better deal for them to stay, not create empty houses uh, and, and, as a matter of fact, potential slums, which we are now uh, seeing, uh, create some mechanism for renegotiation, uh, for creating ability in people uh, to still stay in the houses and so on, not to go to discl- uh, to uh, to uh, throw them out. Uh, that would have 
signaled to the country that uh, they, those who have the power can still not go to court, go to the people themselves and find a way out of it. Um, until that happens, I don't see reliance and trust. It's a difficult process to uh, go back in time when banks have become uh, concerned with their profits and, and because they're, they're public entities, they, they've, uh, they've also got another concern. It's a, it's a competing interest. It's difficult to be able to balance. Do we need to kind of just hit the reset button and start over, or is this something that you think that we can accomplish through regulation? I think we can do it by ourselves. I think that if investors, for example, in banks, yes, you are quite right. The investors say, what have you done with my money? And uh, the uh, banks say, but in the last analysis, if a bank tries to uh, to go all the way uh, and eliminate uh, the wrongs that were done to millions of people, without explaining to the investors uh, that this is a better way, uh, I think we can uh, tell the investors and they will understand uh, that they don't get their money immediately. And by the way, this was done also before. People negotiated. When somebody didn't, couldn't pay, would go to the bank and negotiate. There are legal problems now with the securitized uh, uh, mortgages because people don't know which bank, maybe, which bank uh, they can uh, negotiate with. But I think that should be uh, the key. Uh, as far as regulation is concerned, without consent by powerful institutions that can take investors' money and lobby with that money, um, I'm not sure that we will get any uh, uh, results, and that's another that's another issue altogether. Tomorrow, we've just about reached the end of our program, and it's time to wrap up and get your final thoughts as well as your contact information for our listeners. So, if you could please give us uh, your final thoughts and your contact information. My my contact information is Tamar T Frankel at bu dot edu. And the final thoughts is, I think that the time has come also for each and every one of us to say to those in the private and in the public power sector, um, behave and find, try to find a solution, not merely to win, uh, but also uh, to help the country as a whole. And I think, I'm, I know I'm talking in the stratosphere, I'm talking very uh, broadly, uh, but the moment that is the aim, we'll find the solution. Well, thank you very much, uh, Professor Frankel, for being with us uh, today and sharing your thoughts on this. And thanks also to uh, Lanny Davis for being our guest on this show. Uh, that about does it for this week's show, Craig. Uh, any final thoughts on your part? Well, I'm I'm encouraged to hear Lanny and Tamara think that we're going to find a way out of this. It, it it I think maybe we've 
just about reached one of the darkest points in uh, our financial history in the country, and it, it sounds back to uh, the depression that we went through in the 30s. And this is a recession that has been a recession again, and uh, it's been a difficult thing for a lot of people to survive through. And I think the protests are kind of a, we don't know how to do this, uh, and we don't know how to, to get this accomplished, but we know we're not happy, and that's, I think, what they're trying to say. But uh, as Lanny pointed out, not really um, with any kind of agenda, which is um, self-defeating, I think. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, that makes sense. It's a big hole to dig out of, uh, and uh, there, it is. Uh, it is good to hear that there is at least some 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 hope for the future here uh, from coming from our guests. Uh, of course, a, a reminder to our listeners uh, that they can now get CLE credit. Uh, through the West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to legaltalknetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center there. And, uh, of course, you can find all of the Legal Talk Network shows both at legaltalknetwork.com and in iTunes. Uh, and, uh, and, Craig, we will be back next week with another great legal topic. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.